welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Dr. Shaka Bahadu, a healthcare operations expert, clinical informatics and COO and co-founder of Cypher Skin. So Shaka holds a doctorate in medicine from Cornell and an MBA from Stanford Business School. And using that expertise, he helps lead Cypher Skin, a technology startup on a mission to predict and analyze structural failures in the body and give data in real time to help prevent your next injury. Hope you enjoy it. The way that we start this podcast is we get get you to talk all about your journey and, oh. and by all means tell us the long version because oh, wow. okay. whether whether you were an entrepreneur at the age of four doing mm-hmm. a paper round, whether you didn't learn that about yourself until you did an MBA, talk yeah. me through your journey oh, uh, as 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 an entrepreneur from from humble beginnings. Got it. Okay, so where do I start? I'll start. I'll start with my parents. Uh, so my my father was born and raised in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, he was a firefighter. Uh, he met my mother, who was a nurse. My mother was born in Jamaica, raised in London. Uh, most of my family wow. uh, is 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 in England. Uh, she emigrated to the U.S. and sometime in the '70s met my dad at a at a nurse and firefighters ball, and uh, the rest, as they say, is is history. Wow! Oh um, yeah, and they were older too. It wasn't like they were young young kids uh, meeting. My yeah. dad was 39 when I was born. My mother was, I think, 35. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, they they had a, a late in life romance, and and then Aww. ta-da, here I am. So uh, <laughs> so you know. My my mother uh, unfortunately passed away from breast cancer uh, when I was eight. My father raised my sister, my younger sister, and I uh, uh, after after my mother died, and it was after she died that I decided, as an eight or nine year old, that I wanted to take care of people. I'd seen her do it. My dad took care of people in, in fires. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to to take care of folks in in some sort of way, and it wasn't until maybe a couple of years later uh, that I learned that I was good at math. Uh, you know, I had a moment in in my fifth grade class where it just clicked; something clicked, and I started running through the math work workbook, uh, racing out ahead of of everyone else in the class. Uh, and then after that, I just I I I took. You know my my pain and grief and hate and fury, and I focused it in on my academics and achievement. Uh, and it's been that way literally ever since I was ten years old. I still remember the day. I I don't remember what I was wearing, but I remember the classroom. Uh, and and twenty eight wow. years later, here I am. So so I worked really hard. Uh, you know, I was uh, a very straight, narrow kid. I mean, I was the kid in, in high school who wore a blazer and a tie to school. And oh, didn't, nice. And didn't have to, you know. Like <laughs> I was, you know, real extra uh, <laughs> braces and a braces and a high top fade. You know, uh, wow. played sports, a high uh, top as well. Oh, oh yeah, punchy. man. It was like I mean, you can't tell now because literally time <laughs> time has taken all of my luscious. <laughs> my luscious hair away from me. I used to have this beautiful fro, and it, you know I could shake it around, and it would do like this slow motion Glorious. thing. Like now all that's gone. 
It's gone. Uh, I've got gray hairs in places that I didn't realize I could get a gray hair. <laughs> but uh, seriously, it, it's frightening. Um, yeah, so 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 work real hard uh, through through high school, uh, and even then there were some there were some signs. I when I was I remember when I was ten or eleven, I was thinking through a business plan. And I didn't know yeah. what like what business really was, but I was like thinking yeah. about like how do I do something like that, uh, and and I didn't pay much attention to it, uh, staying focused. But I went off to to college, uh, and uh, was still very focused on becoming a becoming a physician uh, at that point. Uh, you know, I thought I was going to be a heart transplant surgeon. Uh, and you know, be one of the the titans of medicine, and you know, be a monk and take care of patients, and that's it. You know, uh, and uh, but 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 life has a funny way of <laughs> life has a funny way of having plans. Uh, so after after Harvard, I I went into Teach for America. I wanted to teach for America. So Teach for America is a program that sends recent college grads into underserved. Uh, educational communities in the United States to teach. Uh, it could be elementary school all the way through through high school. Uh, I was placed in Miami, Florida, uh, and I taught eighth grade science. So I was a middle school science teacher, and I I looked the stereotype of it. I had my cargo pants and my short sleeve button up shirt. You know the whole the whole nine yards. Back Good then I had a lot of hair, and I looked more like John Legend. Uh, my my my. my, <laughs> my my class used to sing uh, that John Legend song, We're Ordinary People, every yeah. time I would walk into the classroom because they were little Excellent. haters. Uh, but one of the reasons why I ended up doing Teach for America was to impress a girl. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Uh, she, was, she was fabulous. I won't say her name out loud, but uh, she was fabulous and in, in, in really into to public service and all of this. And I, Was uh, she impressed is the big question. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, maybe a little too, a little too late, you know, two year commitment was not, was not enough, but, uh, I did it, uh, and, uh, it was still the hardest, uh, the most difficult job I've ever had, uh, teaching, trying to teach children, uh, children who are coming from, from, from backgrounds that are actually truly difficult, uh, and are mm. traumatic, uh, you know, some of these kids, uh, went through hell just to get from their bed to school every day. You know, it was uh, you know it was an odyssey for them. So, anyway, after uh, uh, after Teach for America, so during that time, I, I applied to medical school. Still wanted to be a doctor. I ended up at at Cornell, uh, and Cornell I really liked because they had an international program, uh, so they could send us to different places in the world and. Uh, and take care of folks, or at least learn to take care of folks. And so, you know, still thinking about heart heart transplant stuff, I I had set up a a, a surgery uh, project over the summer after our, after my first year, uh, and uh, my my faculty advisor, his name is Professor Batui. He's uh, Tanzanian. I said, look, I really like to go to India. I've always been fascinated by it. When I grew up, I had National Geographic. I had a subscription to National Geographic, so I saw all the world uh, through this magazine and was fascinated by India. And, uh, and I said, look, I'd love to go to India. How do I get there? And he said, you're not going to India. You're going to Tanzania. <laughs> it's going to be fine. You're going to love it. <laughs> I said, 
okay, I guess I'm going to Tanzania. There we go. <laughs> so I ended up uh, uh, putting together a surgery project there. And when I showed up, uh, as it turns out, uh, as it sometimes happens in East Africa, uh, you know, you have a plan and then, then there's another plan. Uh, so uh, I, my surgery project fell through. My, my sponsor uh, took the summer off which was really right. weird. So I ended up on the medicine wards, uh, helping to clerk uh, with the medicine team, internal medicine. And I saw uh, tuberculosis and AIDS. I saw schistosomiasis. I saw malaria. I saw rabies. Mm. Uh, I saw all these these complicated uh, pathophysiology that I some some I had thought we had solved. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and that just wasn't true. Uh, and so I spent my, my mornings... Uh, clerking with the team, uh, if I needed to run a lab for them, I did that uh, in the afternoon. This is, I'm going to show my age now, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I took that that big, and you know about this, maybe you do, uh, the Harrison's. Mm. You know the, the you know I mean you did the you did a, a the better textbook. path yeah you did yeah the textbook you did a better yeah. path you went into anesthesiology and ICU which is really cool I did, you know I ended up in internal medicine but uh, so I had like <laughs> <laughs> so you know that big book of Harrison's you know and so I would be leafing through Harrison's reading about uh, the pathophys the, the crazy stuff that I'd seen uh, in the morning and then in the after in in the evenings I would walk around. Uh, the medical center, and the medical center is called Bugando. It's located in Mwanza, Tanzania. It's in the northwest corner uh, of Tanzania, near uh, southern Lake Victoria. And at the time, this was back in 07, they, it was the only tertiary care center. Uh, it served around 15 million people, and there were only four attending physicians. Nuts. Wow. Crazy. And uh, the, 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 the medical center itself was built by the East Germans in the 50s and looked like this concrete monolithic thing out of maybe like Dune or something, right? Some sort of sci-fi film. And, uh, and it was not built uh, conducive to really delivering great patient care. Uh, and it's not that that's a Tanzania thing or it's really a, it's a global thing. Uh, in terms of how we how we built these facilities, we built them to accommodate physicians, not patients and patient care. Uh, and so I will walk around the facility, taking notes about where where the operating theater was compared to the to the laboratory, compared to the uh, the nursing stations, and so on and so forth. And so what I was doing, and I did not know it, I was doing a current state assessment on healthcare yeah. operations. Uh, but it was something I started to spend a lot more of my time uh, doing uh, that summer. And I ended up uh, concluding two things. One is uh, that I wanted to change what I wanted to do and practice as a, as a physician. So I dropped surgery and I wanted to be a nephrologist and an infectious disease doctor. Uh, after what I saw, I, I realized that I, I I could probably do this kind of medicine. Uh, and then the second thing was uh, that I had a, a really strong interest in patient delivery, like in operations. I didn't even call it operations at the time, but 
that's what it was. I wrote a report <laughs> about what I saw and recommendations that I had as, and you know, that's the kind of thing that a 22 or 23 year old would say, you know, I have some strong recommendations about how you all should, you know, the things that you've been doing for decades, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what you're doing Dude, this wrong. is so relatable. I got myself in a lot of trouble oh, yeah. for knowing better at the age of 23. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I even submitted it uh, uh, to the to the program at Cornell. And they're oh, yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. We'll put it in a desk, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, but it, but that changed the arc of, of my career and of my life. Yeah. Uh, so... I changed my my focus in my studies uh, and and what I cared about and what I spent more time reading about and learning about. I love the kidney. I think it's uh, the most elegant organ uh, in the body, and often overlooked, but is super important, as you know, being an ICU doctor. Um, and uh, I decided that I, I wanted to do more. Uh, that I wanted to be a doctor at scale. This is back in a time where where folks were talking about population medicine and you know, how are doctors going to do that? And it doesn't sound like we talk that much about it anymore, but that was certainly part of the conversation uh, well over a decade ago. And so I said, all right, well, how do I, how do I make this impact? How do I learn how to solve these new types of problems? Because, you know, medical education, you're, we are taught to solve problems in a very specific, systematic way. And that doesn't always translate into solving uh, every problem. Uh, so I looked at different programs and just like any good nerd, I thought, all right, well, I'm going to do more school, right? Like that's always the answer. Uh, <laughs> so I looked at, uh, business schools, uh, I looked at, uh, public policy, MPHs, uh, and I realized that not many people, at least at that time, were, were thinking about MBAs. I remember bringing it up to, to classmates that I had and they were like, what are you taught? Why would you do that? Are you selling out? Like, what is, I was like, look. I don't need anyone to understand what the vision I have for myself is. The only person that needs to understand and care about it is me. And it's good that you knew that because good luck trying to find people that agree with a decision that deviates from the well-trodden path when you're very much in the well-trodden path. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. those people that would have given you that advice to deviate have already deviated and gone. They're not around you. Exactly. <laughs> You've got to look in those other places to find those people. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're totally, so much of what you're saying is relatable. Yeah, totally. I, you know, I totally feel you, James. Like it, it was, it was hard to, uh, to, to forge forward, knowing that there were so many people that I was supposed to respect that didn't yes. see didn't see what it is I was trying to build for myself. And wouldn't listen probably either. Yeah. Um, it was because, and, and in their defense, don't have a framework in which they can understand your mm -hmm. decision. I think that's a, that was a really interesting thing. I can remember, I can remember being in an anesthetic with a consultant and I, I was saying, I'm not going to sit the exams. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was as if, and he, he was he was genuinely so concerned uh -huh. for me that I was making a decision that was really going to affect my life in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And that was his framework. And I respect the guy and love the guy for it. He cared about me. Mm -hmm. 
but he he didn't understand mm -hmm. all of the contingencies that I had in place, all of the things that I could go and do, all the things I had planned, the the fellowships that I had in the, the fellowships that I had, the fellowships that I had at Safety Net, the startups I was going to help and work with on the side, the other startups I was going to help on the side. Like mm -hmm. there was lots that I put in place, but none of that fits a framework of someone that just wants to help you stay in medicine you know mm -hmm. and, and that's why it's really hard for people i think that are and those listeners that are in that position and thinking of leaving it, it it's you're never going to get that assurance from those people that are around you necessarily i know things mm -hmm. are changing yeah. um but i think that that confidence has to come from within absolutely i i could you're you know what uh just like that uh that fuji song you're you're strumming by paying with your fingers, my man. Yeah, there it and is. And and the thing is, is that it, uh, you know, I had fear, I had doubt, uh, you know, but but despite that, I knew to be true inside of me that this path was the way forward. Yeah. And I was, I was, and I and I knew that it was right because it was motivated by what was interesting to me. And yes. there was a problem that I wanted to solve. There was something that I wanted to learn uh, in a meaningful way. And so I'm going to go in that direction. Right? It's interesting, isn't it, as well? Because when you say that, like, for, because for, I feel exactly the same way or mm -hmm. felt exactly the same way. Because at some point in time, that desire overcame the feeling of safety of job for life, yeah. safety of conveyor belt to consultancy mm -hmm. 100k job you know yeah. at some point that 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 inquisitive feeling that 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 itch to scratch that in some parts feels kind of reckless but yeah. you just kind of want it a mm -hmm. little bit you want something that's not necessarily i'm just going to sit on this path and end up here like you yeah. do want it to be a bit wild like some that at, at some point in time just sort of overcame me i yeah. suppose and 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 i just had to go and do it and and you're so much better for it right yeah by luck yeah. or judgment i, I don't know, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have drawn the the path that i've taken <laughs> yeah but, yeah that, that's yeah that's a caveat right it's like there are easy ways thing. to get here uh uh but when you're feeling it out for yourself and there isn't much in terms of mentorship or consistent guidance around how to navigate yes. this. That's what makes it. Uh, that's what makes it hard. But at the same yes. time, I have to say that it, it's it's been rewarding. I realize mm. I've, I've recognized over time that the world is you know, this wide. It's it's mm. huge. And when people say with those cliches and platitudes, you can do whatever you want. There is some truth to that, uh, that you can, you, you can carve out a life that is fulfilling for you and that you don't have to necessarily go down the tried and true path the entire time. And the, the, you know, the dirty little secret is, and healthcare certainly here in the United States, is that you can always come back. Ah, uh, right? yes. And this you, is what we need to normalize. Yeah. You can always go back. They will take you back. Yes, uh, I agree, and and that's that's a huge a huge element for me. I talk to I talk to a lot of medical students that are thinking of doing something different, mm -hmm. and some that want to do other things at the same time, like lots of different combinations of that. And I think the more that we can normalise 
trying something. The more that we can normalize just tasting something different, seeing if you do like it, knowing that it'll be far easier having a career in medicine, knowing you did scratch the itch and didn't like it, knowing you did leave and try the thing, yes. or I wasn't, or having the awareness to go, you know, I, I did try that startup mm-hmm. and I just I wasn't that entrepreneurial as I thought mm-hmm. and I'm now back and happier. You know, I think we have to normalize that. I spoke on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, actually, to somebody and we talked about this phrase that we use in medicine, quitting. I think you mentioned it in terms of mm-hmm. surgery. I quit surgery. You didn't quit surgery. Yeah. You just went a different path. You, you stayed within medicine. You just chose nephrology, which, yeah. by the way, is there are a few people that intensivists are scared of the opinion of <laughs> just the nephrologist. <laughs> I know. They're so super smart. I really like them. I really like yeah. them a lot. And you, know, and, and, you know, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. And I'm feeling much more energetic now uh, talking talking with you because, you know, that's, you know, the part that you said about, and I'll never use the word quit again, uh, mm. but, uh, and I mean that seriously. Good. Uh, but but also that yeah you can come back and 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 what's really great for patients is humanity. Yes. You know and and part of humanity is having a diverse set of experiences that you can bring to bear to connect with someone who's different than you. And you know the the unfortunate consequence of going on the tried and true medical path is that you don't see a lot of life. Yeah. You don't experience it. And so it's difficult to relate uh, uh, to your patients that are coming in with varying degrees of, of life experience uh, that inform how their illness is, is evolving, mm. right? And so being able to communicate with them, hey, you know, I, I used to you know, be, a, be a roadie for a, for a rock band, but now I'm a, your oncologist. You know, like that's a thing that, <laughs> you know, that's a thing that, that patients – they want it. They want that. They want to connect uh, with their physicians. But I think that you know we are so science driven, which is important. But we forget about the humanity. Mm. We forget that we have to be human beings too, and that mm. the, the people that, that that we're caring for want to connect with us on some sort of level beyond mm. "I'm the physician. I'm going to tell you to do this." Mm. Right. So, the stupidest thing I ever did was uh, <laughs> I, I gave up. DJing because I thought I had to grow up now. Oh yeah. Doctor. Oh yeah. My my cousin, my cousin Francis did a huge, DJ. huge creative output for me. Yeah. A huge element of my myself, my personality, and music. And yeah, big mistake. I've refound it. I've refound it. Good. But, great. Ah, That's great. Yeah. It's not. Ah, it's yeah, not man, good. Like, anyway, yeah, it's it, yeah. It's one of those things where you 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 know in, in medicine we we give up so much. Uh, my sister who is. 37 now college she's gonna be 38 this year she's gonna be old uh she <laughs> she married two kids uh had a career she actually worked in um uh in casinos for a long time hmm. uh did real estate she's in medical school now she started wow. medical school good for seven yeah i guess good maybe bad i don't know i tried to <laughs> i tried to convince her uh for for a few years she'd been thinking about this uh, to uh, to consider something else, mm. uh, but she was and she did and she chose it. So and good she, for her. she did and she chose it, and so good for her. I completely yeah, I I, I agree. And uh, you know, I told her uh, my last warning was, I get it, I support you, but just mm. understand that this is it. This is mm. all you're gonna do, 
and that's the expectation. You know, in, in my career and in your career, how many birthdays did you miss? How many weddings did you miss? How many funerals did you miss? How many vacations did you miss? Right? Yeah. Because you were, you yeah. were on the path. Yeah. And path. it comes down to this thing, right? You've got to love it. And that's what that's how I end most of these conversations, right, with these people is that, yeah, as long as you love it, you'll be absolutely fine. If you love that, you will love your life. And yeah. I think because you're right, it's a, it's a vocation. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, for me, finding finding technology, and similar to you, right, when it comes to quality improvement mm-hmm. and business cases and technology, speaking to technology companies, making something more efficient, I, f- I found it. I found the mm-hmm. thing that was energizing. I mm-hmm. found the thing that was like, hold on, I'm a doctor. I can speak clinician. I have credibility to a clinical world. I also understand tech. I speak to a lot of technology companies. I understand that world. I can put these two things together here. I can actually make some impact. And that's how it went for me, which mm-hmm. was how I started, which was just connecting the dots A to B and seeing who could help solve certain problems in hospitals, which mm-hmm. then led to accelerators and everything that I've done that's since. That's awesome. Which, you know, it's finding that thing. You know, you talked about it, you know, I'm energized now, you know, that we're talking about, you know, this. But for me, that that, that was the technology bit. It was yeah. the bit of like ah, this is where I'm good because mm-hmm. I can speak to a board of a hospital. I can speak to clinicians. Mm-hmm. I can I can do the, the people bit where you've got to win hearts and minds to make a real change. Yeah. It's a bit of behavior change. It's a bit of selling. It's mm-hmm. a bit of, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot to it, right? Yeah. I think that's that's how it started for me. How yeah. was your MBA? Uh, the MBA was, uh, it was the, the best two-year academic experience of my life. Really? Hands down. Mm. Hands down by far. I remember looking at a syllabus for an MBA mm-hmm. and going, and this, and, and you know, after I've done medicine, after I've been a clinician, when I was at the point of looking at MPHs mm-hmm. and looking at those different things, when I was mm-hmm. at that point, I remember looking at the syllabus and just going, wow. Yeah. You can actually just go and do things you quite like all day. Ah, I was oh, like, yeah. this sounds great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. Didn't end up doing it, I ended up yeah. doing something else. But you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I got, to yeah, you I can actually go and learn the stuff you enjoy. Yeah, I gotta say that you know, it's it's not. I don't think it's for everyone. I think that there is some pressure for folk. I, I see a lot more uh, of our fellow MDs, uh, you know, even colleagues who who told me twelve years ago, "What are you doing? That is so crazy." Mm. We're now doing it, right? Um, yeah, and uh, and and what I loved about it. Uh, were two things. One is that it showed me how big the world is and then how I can, as an individual, have impact in healthcare or otherwise in a variety of different ways that I can help improve the lives of people, uh, not necessarily one patient at a time. I I can do that too. Uh, but yeah. but they showed me that there's there's a lot more vi- variety and variation uh, in what my life could be. Uh, and the second is uh, that they taught me uh, they taught me how to collaborate and how to process new ideas uh, openly, mm. which was new actually for me you know in in medical school here it's you don't tell anyone that you don't know a thing uh, Mm. and that even though you're on a team you're actually competing 
right? There's only yeah. so many fellowship spots. There's only so many residency spots. You know, it goes on and on and on. And so, yeah, we're 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 working together here, but we're also being evaluated and we're also <laughs> being ranked against each other. You know, and so it's all this angst uh, that's wrapped mm-hmm. up there. Uh, so business school was, was great. Uh, and I could go on and on about that, but you know, mm-hmm. after business school, uh, I, I came back to medical school, uh, finished up my last year. I didn't want to go into residency. I really, really didn't. I dragged my feet about applying, but I, I ended up feeling the pressure. So I did it. I ended up matching, uh, down in Miami, Florida. It was not my first choice. It was a disappointment, but, uh, it was, uh, although a very difficult experience for me and challenging, uh, I was glad for it. You know, we were we were in an old school residency where, you know, and I know that this is being recorded, they'll probably you know talk some shit uh, uh, to me after this. But uh, you know, we push work hour uh, limitations all the time. All of us did, uh, and we were covering five or six facilities. You know, veterans hospitals, private hospitals, public hospitals, surgery hospitals, eye hospitals. So, you know, we were all over all the time, plus our clinic work. Uh, And so that was, that gave me a chance to see a variety of different ways in which healthcare tries to integrate technology or completely fails and says, I don't care. I mean, we were in a private university hospital that was on paper and on an MS-DOS EMR. Really? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Like this, actually, MS DOS. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 Wow! Oh yeah! That that software program was built on MS DOS, and so solid operating system though. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> bulletproof. But bulletproof it is. It is. System. It is bulletproof. But it's so rigid. So <laughs> rigid. Oh my god! I uh, yeah. So uh, so I saw all of it, uh, and and that spurred in me that. Uh, there has to be a different way. There has to be. And so uh, after residency, by my last year of residency, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to specialize. I'm not going to do infectious disease. I'm not going to do nephrology. I'm going to go into digital health. I applied to startups. I applied to pharma companies, all, all the whole gamut. Uh, and uh, one startup out in San Francisco said, hey, yeah, come on. Uh, let's try it out. And so it, it's been startups ever since. You know, wow. so I started that. I was there for a year. I went to another uh, uh, digital health startup and realized that I was really good at operations. Uh, I helped yeah. scale some of their ops uh, there. Uh, and it was during that time uh, that I met uh, Philip uh, Bogdanovich, our, our CEO, uh, and Craig Weller, uh, our other co-founder. And they said, "Hey, you seem like an interesting, uh, unusual person. Uh, do you want to come work work with us on this on this thing called CypherScan?" I said, "Well, yeah, sure." So I started, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, nights working nights and weekends. Uh, you know, I still had a full time job and and did that. And we managed to raise uh, raise some money. Uh, and once we raised money, I, I came on full time. Amazing. Yeah. True sweat equity that nights oh, and weekends. Oh, true that. You know, my, my, wife, my wife hated it. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Cypher Skin. What do you guys do? What's the technology? What's the product? Got it. Who's uh, the customer? 
Got what it. problems you solve? Oh, geez, all, all the things. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to run this like an investor meeting now. Oh, oh boy! All right, well now I'm going to get <laughs> nervous. Um, so, uh, so Cipher Skin, we're a data company uh, at our core. Uh, currently, we are full stack. Uh, so that's so we build hardware, we build software, and we structure data. Uh, our first product application is the BioSleeve and the digital mirror. The BioSleeve is the hardware. It's a data collection device, essentially. Uh, and the software is the, the visualization of the data that's coming off the hardware. Before I jump into more detail around the, the product, uh, our IP is around the idea that an object moves around in the physical world. And that an object also gives off other signals that can be measured on the surface of that object, right? And if we wrap an object in a flexible circuit system that is in a form factor of repeating geometric patterns that's pushing power and data along that circuitry, that we can also plug in other sensors, surface sensors, which we call subsensors. We plug in those subsensors and they're measuring other stuff. Okay? And so they're all plugged into the same system clock. So now we're creating a data set of time plus motion plus other metrics plus position that is a unique and gapless data set. And it's gapless because the flexible circuitry is hardwired. So we started with a, uh, a one, one patent that was granted in late 2016. The company was, was uh, incorporated in 2017. I joined in early 2018. Uh, now we have nine patents. We have a patent portfolio that is growing. Uh, we've got another 12 uh, that we're almost done uh, with with uh, with the application process uh, and answering all the office actions and the follow-ups and responses and so on. We've got another 16 that are just sitting, waiting uh, uh, to be to be submitted. All around this idea of wrapping any object in the world in this tech technology, if you will. And the technology is the method of data extraction from the object. We're not tied to a material. We're not tied to a sensor. We're not a sensor company. We're not tied to any specific radio or energy source, right? So you're talking about a technology that is extraordinarily versatile, flexible, pun intended, uh, and, <laughs> and has multiple applications even within one industry, okay? So you know, we, uh, the way we have, have moved this forward, how we've been thinking about this is one that human performance is interesting. It's the co most complex problem to solve. Uh, human beings are the most complex objects on earth. You know, and, and I would say that we're, we are marginally better than other animals because of our self-awareness. You know, uh, and so, you know, our aim, our mission uh, is to build the world's largest database of objects, structure, function, and behavior in the physical world, full stop. We're starting with human beings, uh, most complex. Uh, you know, we, we have a, an R&D pathway where we have framed the world in terms of geometry, that the world is full of objects that are either cylinders or flat surfaces, and a combination of those in some sort. Right? And I think that kind of fits. It covers most objects, actually. Uh, and so we've started with single-cylinder systems, and that brings us to that product application, the BioSleeve. So a BioSleeve goes around one arm, 
right? We sell them in pairs, so they go around two arms. Uh, and it measures the range of motion of the elbow and the shoulder. We don't capture the wrist because the sleeve doesn't go that far. Uh, we measure heart rate. We measure oxygen saturation at rest and skin temperature. Okay, uh, this sleeve. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm I'm at the house. If I was at the office, uh, I I could show this to you. It it's a fully flexible uh, sleeve. Uh, it has a processor on board, and a, a battery that's uh, that's charged through induction. Uh, we have we have incorporated those other sensors in into this system, and it looks pretty much like an athletic compression sleeve that you would pull off the shelf. We have the electronic components uh, that we've, and what we what we use as a term is, is that we computerize textiles. That's our fancy way of saying that, that we incorporate our technology, right? And it's in, it's uh, the electronic components are encased in a silicon uh, polymer. And fun story about that, uh, you know, uh, one of our customers is uh, the Air Force, the US Air Force, and uh, they need a, 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 a sleeve that is durable, that they can jump out of planes with and dive into the ocean and all this kind of stuff, right? And so we had to make something that was super durable and waterproof. And we were racking our brains around like, well, how are we going to do this? We don't know. You know, there's a, there is a, a, a factory down the road from our office that makes sex toys. And it <laughs> turns out that the sex toy industry has done remarkable uh, research and development in chemical in chemical <laughs> material science around something that is inert, safe for human beings, uh, that's waterproof, that's durable, right? Okay. That you can incorporate electronics into and realize, <laughs> okay, great. So we went over there, asked them, like, well, what do you use? They shared it with us. We bought some, and uh, that's what we use now uh, to keep wow. everything waterproof. It's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. You can crumple it up. You can stuff it in your pocket. It, it you know, it's durable. So, I uh, so our 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 target customers today, uh, because we've started with the single sleeves. We're about to build leggings. Uh, we're kicking that off in July, and then eventually we get to the full uh, uh, long sleeve shirt uh, that'll have a twelve lead EKG. We'll be able to measure vital signs, minus blood pressure, uh, you know, uh, spinal uh, postural position, movement of the arms, torso, chest, etc. Uh, so our target customers are physical therapists and athletic trainers. Uh, there's a lot of data that we pull off. We don't show everything, uh, but for the, we were trying to figure out a way, well, who's the right customer who would want all of this information? Turns out it's physical therapists. Uh, right now they have a, they use a, a, that plastic protractor, that goniometer, look at range of motion, and, and you and I both know that it's a guess. Uh, there's a lot of error. Uh, yeah. in it, right? And but they also use those numbers to get reimbursed for insurance here. Uh, and so insurance companies know that there are guesses, and insurance companies are always looking for an excuse to like cut reimbursement, right? Uh, and so here we have a tool for physical therapists to put on their patients, quickly go through an an evaluation, and we've been able to cut down the eval time by eighty percent. Yeah. Easy because it's just automatic. You put put it on. One that then needs to come in. You can do it at home. You could do it at home. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're tracking right. So uh, we built this for an in facility uh, device as a tool for yeah. PTs. But you know, COVID came. All right. So we've got to do a little bit of a pivot. And we said, all right, we'll build out a telehealth 
uh, platform as well so that you can remotely monitor yep. your, your folks, continue to generate revenue and new revenue. Yep. And as it turns out for us here, uh, there is uh, there's relaxation on the reimbursement for telehealth. So, you know, that evolution that you and I saw coming, mm-hmm. it was going to be about another decade, was yep. compressed uh, yep. in a year. You know, so you can also automate the telemedicine almost because at the end of the day, you don't need humans. It, it could, they can be nudged by a, any sort of digital therapy. Yeah, true that. True that. That's you know, to, you know. Yeah, the way we think about this is that we want to keep still the human in the leap because from from my my philosophy uh, around healthcare is that the fundamental unit, and you know this, is mm. one patient, one provider, and that human connection is the thing yeah. that heals people. You know, medicines help, interventions help, but it's it's here. Making a human connection and saying, I care about you, uh, I'm here to encourage you, uh, is I think is the secret sauce that we that often gets overlooked. And so, you know, yes, we can mo- we can uh, automate, I think, quite a bit of this uh, downstream. Yeah. But what we wanted to do is partner with physical therapists, trainers, et cetera, and say, look, we have a thing that will allow you to scale yourself. Think about Peloton, but like in a cooler way. Don't <laughs> cut that. Cut that out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so uh, and so, like that's that's the value prop. It's yeah. You're cutting down your operational time. We can format that that information uh, that you want to pull out in terms of mm. range of motion, and also pulling some vital signs along with that. Yeah. Uh, and that you can use to then plug into whatever EMR it is yeah. that you have to use to get reimbursed, right? And so it's cutting down some of that documentation time uh, and, and, and data transcription time. But also, like, looking out into the future, you know, we know that, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what ails a person on one part of their body affects literally everything else and vice versa. And then in order to truly understand what is happening with a with a person, mm. you can't just measure one thing. You can't just measure on a, you know, this is not a smartwatch, but we'll pretend this is a smartwatch, just on your wrist. How can you count steps from your wrist? That doesn't make any sense, right? Mm. And so where we're going is we're measuring motion plus biometrics plus other stuff to create a comprehensive profile all of that together, right? Seeing how those interdependencies relate to create profiles of what's, what does stress look like? What does optimal performance look like? What does recovery look like? Because yeah. it's not just one, it's not just a stoop. It's also what changes in your heart rate variability. It's also what changes in your oxygen saturation variability, right? Yeah. Things that we just cannot see outside of a lab, we can do it now today. It's It, it doesn't require any special video cameras. It doesn't require any special yeah. room. You put these on, you go out, you do your thing. We are recording all of it. We're mapping yeah. we're mapping quaternion coordinates and we are visualizing that through our software. Yeah. Because that's what a lot of your competitors do, isn't it? With the, the video studios and they set up the nine cameras or twelve mm-hmm. cameras. like yeah. and you know, then people have got to come into a place and they, you know, they get the little stick man on the mm-hmm. on the screen moving in yeah. a certain ways and and all the rest of it. And this is definitely a, a different way of doing that. And also you know, back to the kind of models that this sort of thing enables. It depends, obviously, around the world as well about how how physical therapists or orthopedics or whatever. It depends how they're reimbursed as well. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, somewhere like 
the NHS in the UK, where mm. at the end of the day, we're just incentivized to make things as efficient as possible mm-hmm. and as streamlined as possible, you know, allowing something where, you know, if, if, if the numbers were there for it, you know, if, if 30 people had that in a clinic that mm-hmm. needed it, if 20 of them are then absolutely fine because they're now accountable to this thing and they enjoy using it mm-hmm. and they don't need to come in, then all of the time for those 30 people's appointments can just be spent on the 10 that really need it. Exactly. And that's the, and that's the difference with something like this. It's yeah. the same with digital therapeutics, as I was saying, as well as good use of medical devices mm-hmm. and actionable insights. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing. It's in- interesting about your data and the way that you're going to use it, right? And in terms of you're going to learn in lots of different ways and with lots of different scenarios, what's actually actionable here yeah. and what's the best course of action as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if this thing is, is, tracking its location in space and time and has all of these other different variables that are being collected at the same time mm-hmm. the correlations between those things will be really interesting oh, yeah. and as you say you know developing the size of that data set the biggest in the world for what it is will be incredibly useful for all the oh, yeah. models that will be useful for you because we don't know what's going to correlate with what yeah. to produce what action and therefore mm-hmm. best health like if yeah. you'd said 100 years ago that we're going to be you know, measuring our own potassium on blood tests and optimizing it. People are like, yeah, well, what, what, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, people are getting at home finger prick blood tests and yeah. eating more bananas. Like, yeah. it's a thing now. Like, whether or not it works, I don't know. But <laughs> let's leave that for another day. But <laughs> it's happening, you know. Um, so we don't know what correlations that, that, that are yeah. going to happen. And I, from a nephrologist, is there any, is there any like truth to that? Potassiums and bananas? Because surely, like, yeah, yeah. You, you can't kid me. You're going to see some ECG changes if I eat too many bananas. Like, <laughs> now, yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. When you're when you're eating when you're eating uh, sources of potassium, uh, unless your kidney is completely wonked, yeah, you're like, going to clear that, and, and your GI is wonked, you're you're going to clear it. Like, it's, yeah, it's not, fine. yeah. Fine. You know, just wanted to check. Like, yeah, just wanted yeah, to because check. like you're like, hey, come on, yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, lots of bananas. Uh, that's the banana uh, lobby. That's the banana lobby. You gotta watch out for them. Uh, yeah, you know, and and so like that's the thing. It's like there. It, what's really exciting is that we're we're learning about the the behavior of this data. Uh, you know, we don't we we still don't know what the correlations are, but like that's in the future, and that's going to be very exciting to share with research institutions. And you know, right now, what we're really excited about with our early adopter partners, you know, these these PT clinics, uh, is. Uh, is that they get to please give us the feedback. What is truly yeah. meaningful, right? Because we have an idea, but that doesn't mean that it's right. You know, and, and commercially that becomes really important mm-hmm. because you don't want to be a te- tech for the sake of tech. It actually matters yeah. what matters to them. To that, and that's the thing, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like what problems can we solve with this? There's a bit of discovery there, isn't there, with yeah. these kind of early clients mm-hmm. to figure out what it what is the real utility here like what what are the big problems that we can solve is it that model where we can keep 20 20 people at home and and you know have space for the 10 is that a big problem to solve it might be in some countries in others it might be get, let's get them all on tiny medicine in yeah. others it might be let's just keep them all like at home and try and do what we get like yeah. there'll be different models different places which is interesting and, and, and which is which is awesome and exciting right and like and yeah and, and from our standpoint it's hey take them and and, and do whatever it is that you want with mm. whatever you see as useful for me yeah. from my perspective i love i love yeah. seeing it as a workflow tool a workflow how much is the device and do you, is that is there any kind of ongoing 
cost for then the data analysis? Yeah, so like so that? the way it so the way it works for us is it's uh it's like a cell phone plan. So in the same way yeah. that you have a hardware device that you pay a, a monthly data subscription to visualize information from this transmitter or yeah. receiver. Uh, it's the same thing. The sleeves are yeah. uh, basically a cell phone. It's a transmitter and receiver. Uh, and we sell them in pairs at, uh, I think, $100 a pair or $200 a pair uh, yeah. for these sleeves. Uh, and then there's an ongoing data charge uh, per month. Yeah. Uh, and so right now we, we, we have positioned this as our customers are PT companies and clinics and so on. And so they would pay for the data ongoing or they would pass that on to on to their end users, their mm. patients. Uh, you know, we're playing around with different models. We're 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 mm. we've pushed into the market, and we're 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 testing out price elasticity and sensitivity and all of yeah, that. So yeah. we've started with a hundred bucks. That gets us a nice round number. That's not entirely true. We have cal we have made some calculations <laughs> and made some assumptions <laughs> about it. Uh, but you know, our 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 vision is is not for this to be a uh, a, a niche device. Yeah. Uh, you know, our our CEO Phil. Uh, tells the story about how he wants to walk into a, I guess maybe a Neiman Marcus. He's kind of bougie, you know. I would go into a, I would go into a Marshalls or a Ross, uh, but he wants to go into maybe like a Neiman Marcus or Macy's or whatever. Walk into the underwear section and pull off the shelf cipher-enabled underwear is what yeah. you know, and like that's yeah. where we want to push uh, down the cost. And what's great about us being agnostic to materials and sensors and so on is mm. that as there are better cheaper better performing materials yeah we can just move like it doesn't yeah. doesn't affect us at all in your sense you just become a platform technology which is super interesting exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and so it's interesting you mentioned like athletic trainers and things like that as well mm -hmm. um on your website because yeah my mind just goes to like i'd love to stick that on my arm and just have like four three four five sets of tennis and just see like yeah. what data i can come up with out of that and what insights and, i could glean from like hey man if you want to be a if you want to be a tester let yeah let's do it let's arrange it uh because we're it. yeah we're we're down to uh to try out this stuff you know one of the one of the folks that we have here his name is james heathers uh doctor phd uh and he has been uh, he's an expert in biosignaling, uh, and he has spent most of his academic career on wearable technology and like wow. calling out bullshit uh, yeah. on, on technology that comes into the market. And we managed to get him here. He, he had been in, advising the company for a few years, making sure that we nice. were building BS, and now he's here full time. <laughs> we're definitely sure that what we're building is meaningful, and that like the information that we're pulling off actually means a thing. Right, that it's not these vanity metrics uh, that sort of float around in in, in current wear, wearable tech. But yeah, he runs our validation and loves to loves to send stuff to people to test it out. Well, I'll be a willing recipient of right. it, awesome. um, and we'll see what see what media I can get you of me using it as oh, well. <laughs> sweet, um, dude, it's been a pleasure having you on. James, um, that's great. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. It's always nice to talk to a fellow medic that's yeah. taken a different path and, and mm -hmm. you know, all those insights. And it's always just a bit of therapy for us, isn't it? And just uh, the yeah. echo chamber that we made the right decision. Like, oh, you True did that. too, mate. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. But still, the crippling anxiety of startups remains in our life. Yeah, so, of course. you know, <laughs> that's part of the fun. You just right? swap one hell for another. But <laughs> I'm joking, kind of. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's my hell that I'm yeah, in now. Yeah, I'm yeah, in control yeah. of it. Uh, exactly. Control. At least that's it's the main my thing. choice, right? No one's telling me to be here. That's the difference. Um, 
Cool, man. As I say, pleasure having you on. If people want to get in touch with you uh, or learn more about Cypher Skin, what's the best way for them to find you? Uh, if they want to uh, get in touch with me uh, specifically, you know, maybe this is a mistake, but you know what, whatever. It's shaka at cypherskin.com. Uh, another way to get uh, through to us uh, is info at cypherskin.com. Uh, and when people email info at cypherskin, just address it to Shaka and I'll, I'll pick it up. Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend. Yeah, and of course. thank you for giving out that email address. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, James. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.